Welcome to Hidden Headlines, the good news, the God news, news for the soul, stuff no one in the secular media is talking about. And I'm your host, Brian Sussman. This is news for the second full week of February 2019. Later in this podcast, we will have a very special interview. This interview, as I conducted it, I had to pick my job off the ground several times. I've interviewed thousands of people over the years, but I've never interviewed someone who survived an abortion. Her name is Melissa Oden. She's put together a fabulous organization that does such great work reaching out to people like herself who survived an abortion. You will hear that interview coming up, and I think it's very, very important because now we have politicians in this country openly openly discussing infanticide. In the past, it was a topic for discussion that was kept way under wraps, and now you're seeing these people come out of the box. They're empowered, they're emboldened, they're speaking, and many of these people are in high political office. We'll talk about that. Again, the stories that we're talking about today on Hidden Headlines can be found at briansussman.com on my blog, so here's one. It was originally published at WorldNet Daily, and then I brought it over to the Brian Sussman side. It's entitled Doped Up, Docile, Dependent, The Left's Plan for the People. So this story begins many years ago. My wife and I were about to adopt our first of three sons. We have four kids, three adopted, and as I always like to say, we forget which three. But there was a friend of ours who had worked with foster children for many years, and he pulled us aside and wanted to tell us the difference between nature and nurture. I think what he was doing was actually warning us that, you know, the inherited DNA of these kids is very, very strong. And you think you can nurture them to be model citizens, but I'm just telling you the DNA, the DNA is a big deal. Well, call us naive, but my wife and I didn't buy it. Our sons are now young adults. And over the years, there were numerous times as we raised them when my wife and I observed traits and tendencies and aptitudes and emotions that seemed totally foreign to our personal bloodlines. However, uh, can I just tell you something? We can say the same thing about our biological daughter, who's the oldest of our kids. Yes, their nature, all of them, their nature was trying at times, but we confronted that nature with our nurture. We spent lots of time with them. I mean, we dedicated our lives to these kids. There was actually a point in time where I was uh, on the television news as a meteorologist here in San Francisco, where I'm broadcasting from. And I'd been on the air for many years. And I had an organization called Brian's Kids, which saw 400 children placed in adoptive homes over a period of 10 years. And, and we highlighted those kids on the Channel 5 airwaves in San Francisco. Life was going swimmingly well. Um, I was making lots of money. Television paid very, very well back then. But the problem is I would leave home at sometimes noon. I wouldn't get home till usually 1230 at night. I would do the five, six, 10, 11 o'clock news. And then on days when I was filming a special or a Brian's Kids Report or whatever, I'd leave the house at noon. I came across a youngster named Josh who is highlighted in one of my other podcasts, which is entitled Another Chance. Just look for another chance, episode one. Uh, this one will knock your socks off. But I met Josh as one of these children in foster care. He was six at the time. We ended up ad adopting Josh. But before we adopted Josh, my wife said, Brian, 
I, I can't do this as a single mom because you leave at noon, you don't come home till 1230. Now you're asking for four kids. I can't, I can't do this. You got to change jobs. And I said, okay, I'm in. I, I can't think of a higher calling than taking on another kid. So we adopted Josh. But my point is, when it came to the nature in all of these children, uh, we really dug in. We loved them, spent time with them, supervised them, prayed for them, sought out mentors, and when necessary, professional assistance to properly equip them for future success. Now, in this piece, I share a troubling statistic. In San Francisco, we have more intravenous drug users than high school students more intravenous drug addicts than high school students. And we know that the amount of intravenous drug addicts is probably a pretty accurate count because we give away free needles in this city. We also have a homeless population in San Francisco, they say, of 7,500. Now, a fraction of these are probably down on their luck and they'll, they'll bounce back. But most are alcohol or drug addicted or out of their mind. Or some are actually, and I've met them, otherwise harmless people, they're just completely ill-equipped to do life, probably because of their family situation. So I wonder how much of this mess is because of the fact that their nature was never properly nurtured by a family. And herein lies another problem. We're seeing more broken families and an exceeding number of kids who have no contact with a biological father. And even when you have a mother who's dedicated to wholesome family values, it's challenging to nurture nature in those circumstances because you're busy putting hamburger on the table, you've got other concerns and needs, and now you've got all these kids or maybe a kid who's got a strong nature. And then there are the kids living at home with two parents. Everything looks fine, but the kids aren't being raised by the parents, they're being raised by the internet. So I think a combination of those scenarios has exacerbated homelessness, drug addiction, and the general cloud of destitution hanging over so many. So here's where I go with this particular piece. This is where the progressive left just crawls in. They see the only cure for these impoverished masses as being the government. That's what they see. And they believe in something Karl Marx refers to as the three laws of matter. Karl Marx claimed that each of us were spit out of our mother's womb some with a better brain than others. Those with a better brain must step up and keep the inferior brains in population, uh, in check in the population. Because left to our own devices, we're going to kill each other and destroy the planet. So therefore, you need heavy-handed laws, regulations, tempting ploys. So look what's happening right now. Look what the left is doing. This is what they're pushing. They're pushing completely legalized marijuana. They're pushing free needles. Why are they doing this? To keep millions doped up and docile and dependent. They're promising free health care and universal income. What will that do? It'll prevent many more from becoming industrious. And finally, and finally, abortion and infanticide to reduce the type of people that are unwanted in their utopian world. Again, you can read all about that at briansussman.com. Uh, Another feature that I began this week is called the Epic Story of the Day. Some of the stories are super, super good. And then others are just, it's hard to wrap your brain around these uh, stories. The story in question here has to do with, these are all video blogs. Uh, the story in question has to do with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, when you think about this, 
Now, listen, Nancy Pelosi had not, my my Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi had nothing to do with getting this woman in the Congress. Because that congressional seat, New York 14, where she's from, New York 14, Joseph Crowley was the ranking Democrat from that. He, he was the fourth ranking Democrat. He was like the third lieutenant to Nancy Pelosi. He was a reliable, solid guy as far as she was concerned that she could trust. And he would do her bidding. He would represented that area forever. He never had anybody run against him in New York 14 since 2004. 700, uh, this is what just boggles my mind. I mean, it makes you wonder if there's some kind of spiritual component in the mix here. I'm serious. 700,000 people in New York 14. It's part of Queens and Bronx. 700,000 people. In the primary in June 2018, Ocasio-Cortez wins with 15,000 votes. 700,000 people, most of them registered Democrat, if I mean, some might say, if not all, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's probably a lot like San Francisco, where we have just a handful of independents and, and Republicans. But 700,000 people, the lion's share Democrats, she gets 15,000 votes and wins. Crowley got 11,000. The other players got barely nothing. The people of that district sat at home because they thought, ah, Crowley will win, no big deal. Well, guess what? And he outspent her. She hardly spent anything. And she wins. And then she goes to the general, and Crowley's running now as an independent. But you know how it is in certain parts of the country. People just say, ah, oh, check the box, all Democrat, boom. She wins. I think that's just an incredible story. And I'm, I'm not a fan of this woman politically. I mean, when it comes to this whole abortion infanticide thing, I'm sure she's just right up there with Senator Patty Murray from Washington. And now let's talk about that and set you up for this interview. Republican lawmakers in the House of Representatives have reintroduced legislation forcing, forcing abortionists to give newborns medical care if they survive an attempted abortion. Now, Republican lawmakers did this last week, just days after the Democrats blocked a version of the same measure in the Senate. The measure in the Senate was blocked by Patty Murray, outspoken pro-choicer, Shame on her. She stopped it all. It was basically an attempt by Senator Sass from Nebraska to say, okay, can we all just can we all just agree that if a baby is accidentally born alive after an abortion, that we're good, right? That child should now get the best of care to try one, allow it to survive and also to thrive. It was a simple vote. She slammed it down, wouldn't let it pass. Well, last Wednesday, Republican Representative Ann Wagner of Missouri and House Minority Whip Steve Scalise announced plans to file a discharge petition, as they call it, to force a vote on a similar bill in the Democrat-controlled House. Now, I'm just going to opine for a moment that we'll get to the interview. I have been horrified to watch these radical Democratic legislators argue that babies who survive abortions should not be given the same level of medical care that all other newborn babies receive. Nancy Pelosi, you are a Catholic. Nancy Pelosi, uh, you should probably check in to see what the, what the prevailing doctrine is with the Catholic Church regarding abortion. I think they're pretty much against it 100%, as you should be as well. 
And you know, the Bible's very clear. I was knit in my mother's womb, says the scripture. That's what the Bible says, Nancy. And if that's the case, then certainly when a baby's born alive after an abortion attempt, everything should be done. Everything should be done. Innocent life must be defended and protected at every stage. And that includes babies born alive during an abortion. So I don't know where this is going to go in Nancy Pelosi's House of Representatives. Um, it's going to need 19 Democrats in order, 19 Democrats to break ranks with their party in order to go through it. I'm, I'm praying that it does. I'm praying that it does. Now, I, I was, when all this has been going down, you know, all the talk of uh, abortion and infanticide and born alive after an abortion, I'm watching a news show called Fox and Friends as I'm preparing for my morning radio broadcast in San Francisco on KSFO. And on Fox and Friends, there's this wonderful woman named Melissa Oden with a couple other people uh, who are telling their stories. And my jaw is on the ground as I'm listening to this. It's like, whoa, they, all three of these individuals survived an abortion. It's an incredible story, and, and you, you must hear this, and I hope you will share this, because there are a lot of pro-choicers who believe that never happens. Well, my friends, it does happen. Melissa Oden started a wonderful organization called the Abortion Survivors Network. Now, she'll share all of her contact information at the end of this podcast. Prior to meeting Melissa over the phone for this interview, I had heard of one other person who had survived an abortion. That was Gianna Justin. She made the news some years ago. So I was pleasantly surprised to hear there was a network for such people, but at the same time, I was, I was amazed to hear how many are known to have survived an abortion and how many may have survived an abortion that we just don't know about. Anyway, I began our conversation by asking Melissa what people thought when she started her organization. I think probably when it first started, I, honestly, I think probably people thought I might be crazy, right? That there was no need for this kind of thing. Right. You know, historically, people knew about Gianna Justin, but didn't know that anybody else existed because we don't talk about it. And so... It was one of those things. I would go speak somewhere, and inevitably somebody would send me a message and say, hey, I'm one of you, too. Wow. And it was like God made it clear, right, that, that somebody needed to bring people together and educate the public at the same time. So even after Fox aired this week, Brian, I've heard from four more people. So we're up to 269. Yeah, 269. But we know that statistically the number has to be so much higher. There are a few governmental reports that come out about survivors. I've been talking a little bit about it again here recently, wanting, wanting it to capture people's attention. But Canada reported that from 2013 to 2018, there were 766 children who survived abortions, excluding Quebec. So 766 in five years. They have about 100,000 abortions performed a year in Canada. We have now just under a million. So when you look at their statistics, if you would try to make it comparable, right, with our number of abortions performed, I did the math, and 
just based on that and rounding it down and all of those things, based on 46 years of legalized abortion, we could have about 68,000 survivors in the United States. My goodness. Can you please just tell our listeners your story? Yeah, my story is a um, long one, but the briefer version is that I survived a saline infusion abortion. It was in 1977 that my birth mother, as a college student, actually had the abortion procedure forced upon her. She had no intention of having that abortion. Uh, But like so many women, somebody else made that decision for her. And in her case, it was uh, my maternal grandmother. And so they forced this saline infusion abortion upon her, bypassing regulations and procedures at the hospital because my grandmother was a prominent nurse there. She worked with the abortionist, and so they were able to force this abortion upon her. It should have poisoned and scalded me to death in the womb. And, you know, in reality, they thought that it had done its job. I soaked in that toxic salt solution for five days before they ultimately induced her labor there at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City, Iowa. And instead of being delivered as a deceased child, I was accidentally born alive. My jaw is on the floor. It's, I mean, truly, God had a purpose for you. And that purpose, I think, is being carried out in your in your current mission in life. It is. You know, these days are so tough right now, aren't they, Brian? I mean, like, I get teary talking about it. I cried when I dropped my daughter off at preschool today because <sighs> I told people, right, I feel like this is a defining moment in our culture. And as difficult as it is, Every day I wake up knowing that my purpose is this. Uh, I know of many of the medical professionals who actually cared for me. I'm going to meet a nurse later this month who was actually working in the neonatal intensive care unit that day. She's actually, she's the one who reached out to me a couple of years ago and was able to share more of the story. But I now know that there was argument about whether I would be provided medical care Uh, The words even long ago were, we laid her aside. We laid her aside, and now I know that when they laid me aside, I was left for a period of time. But ultimately, a tall blonde nurse, in the words of this other nurse, this tall blonde nurse rushed me off to the NICU that day. And, you know, she said she just kept gasping for breath. And so I couldn't just leave her there to die. That's how I ended up being provided medical care. You know, Governor Northam's comments in Virginia and all of these talks about infanticide where people want to somehow believe that this this doesn't happen, that this is hypothetical, um, I'm here to tell you that it does happen. So at that point, you're given the medical attention that was necessary, and were you then placed for adoption? Were you placed in foster care? What happened? Yeah, I was placed for adoption. I actually now know that my birth mother didn't know initially that I survived. It was kept a secret from her. I was placed for adoption without her consent. Uh, We may not ever know all of the details, but we have a pretty good guess that it was my grandmother that made that happen also. Um, And, you know, as hard as that is, I have been so blessed with my adoptive family I went home to them about three months after I survived that failed abortion. And, you know, they were told that I had survived the abortion attempt, that I was, you know, probably going to face multiple disabilities. There were even some mistakes made in my medical care that should have left me blind. Um, but my parents were just truly faithful people. And, 
and people who knew that they were called to be my parents. And so I've been blessed um, to be adopted. I can hear, and I say this because, you know, three of my kids are adopted. And as I told you, three of my kids are adopted. I forget which three. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that my my sons, when they hear this story, once we produce the piece, uh, they're going to cheer. They're going to be cheering out loud when they hear about you. This is this is such an encouragement and such a validation for kids who were adopted, especially for those like yourself who the initial intention was for you not to live. Yeah, I always remind people, right, adoption is not an easy decision for people to make. And I feel like that's probably one of the greatest barriers in our society when it comes to adoption. There's just, first of all, there's not enough conversation, but secondly, there's just not enough resources and support for birth moms, for adoptees, for adoptive parents. You know, my mom and dad have loved and supported me every step of the way. Uh, but that it was a hard journey for them to live with knowing that people tried to end my life and then feeling like they had to protect me from them. You know, even though they raised me to love them and forgive them, you know, they knew the other side of the coin, that, that they felt like they needed to protect me from the people who tried to end my life. You must be as dumbfounded as I am regarding the latest news. I mean, here we have in the Senate, uh, Ben Sass from Nebraska says, okay, let's all vote. Just put it on the record. We're against infanticide. And Patty Murray, the Democrat from Washington State, a very, very liberal, outspoken pro-choicer, stands up and basically squelches that bill. Incredible. And then in the House of Representatives, a similar bill is trying to be passed, but the only way this will work is for 19 Democrats to part ways with Nancy Pelosi and vote for the bill. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a lot of hope, but what is your take regarding all of this? Not surprised, uh, but at the same time disappointed, right? We know the name of this game. I was actually there on the House floor last year in January uh, when the House was voting on it. And, you know, I was there meeting with Republican lawmakers and thanking them for, you know, their commitment to lives like mine. But I was there in that room watching the Democrats, by and large, on the screen saying, we don't need a bill like this, right? This isn't necessary this doesn't happen. You're just trying to attack Roe versus Wade. And my comments just continue to be, you know, we're not hypothetical cases, right? See our dignity. These are human beings' lives that we're talking about. We're not some political pawn. No, you are not political pawns. And I'm guessing amongst the survivors, there are many who need support, they need encouragement, they need therapy, they need healing, correct? There are actually more survivors in the network who were raised by their biological families hmm. than there are adopted. Wow. I wasn't expecting that when I first started doing this work. I, you know, I guess maybe it's because I'm adopted. I thought maybe everybody else would mm -hmm. be too, but um, yeah, most survivors are raised by their birth parents. And, you know, I wish that was always a positive experience. But I'll be honest, Brian, it's not always. You know, I think um, there's, a, there's a multitude of reasons why biological families keep their children after the attempted abortion. Uh, but I know of many of those survivors who have really suffered emotional and physical abuse, uh, mental abuse. And, and we know those, it's not those survivors' fault. 
Um, it's usually, you know, the guilt and the grief that those biological families carry with them. But, yeah, a lot of those survivors are told, you know, what a burden they are, that they're, they should have just died like they were supposed to. You know, a lot of our work really focuses on dealing with survivors. Well, Melissa, you are doing a tremendous job, and I'm just so privileged to have met you, and I look forward to a continued relationship going forward in the future. But please tell our listeners how they can find out more about everything you're doing. Sure. People can find out more about the Abortion Survivors Network at theabortionsurvivors.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter um, as the Abortion Survivors Network. And then my personal page, if somebody can't get through through the Abortion Survivors Network, they can always find me as the founder at um, melissaodenohden.com. And that was my interview with Melissa Oden. Powerful. What a fantastic person. By the way, I'll have all of her contact information posted at briansussman.com. Just go to the blog and you'll be able to see it accordingly. Also, please consider getting a copy of her book, You Carried Me. Inspirational, motivational, encouraging, God-inspiring, You Carried Me. And I'll have a link to that up as well at briansussman.com. That's this edition of Hidden Headlines. Thank you for joining me. And thanks for listening on so many different platforms. SoundCloud, of course, iTunes, Google Play, so many others. If you like what you hear, share. Get the word out. I do appreciate it. Brian Sussman, Hidden Headlines. God bless you. Thanks for listening.